calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Peace, this is Christy Z. You're listening to Rebel Radio with Josh Levine. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest this week is Christy Z. Pavon. I've known Christy for many, many years. Um, she is a multi-talented, multi-faceted entrepreneur. Uh, she, she's responsible for the Tools of War newsletter, which for a long time brought us news and happenings related to old school hip hop. She's also a publicist to a lot of the old school DJs and, and artists. Um, she also organizes the Cretona Park Jams, kind of bringing that, that old school, uh, the origins of hip hop into our current time and lastly uh, she's the ceo of dmc usa organizing battles of some of the world's best djs all over the world she's got some great stories Um, really you know the lessons from her is about going for it without necessarily the experience to slow you down just uh you know just just stepping up and making it happen i love i love some of those stories how she's done that um she's also gives us a little bit of insight into how she's innovating the concept of DJ battles for the 21st century and um, as well as you know how she sells people on her vision sometimes enforcing her vision and you know when to be maybe a little more heavy-handed and when to when to be a little more laid back it's a great interview I hope you enjoy it let's get into it with Christy Z Well, thanks for doing this. I'm excited to talk to you. It's, um, it's uh, like I said, it's been a while and, and, you know, I've been admiring your career for a long time. So I'm excited to dig into some details with you. Oh, I admire what you've been doing too. Like I was, I was really excited to be invited to be interviewed, you know? Yeah, right on. Well, um, thanks again. So I want to get into your history and, and the things you've seen and learned along the way. Um, but I always like to start at the beginning. So do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Um, well, you, like I was buying 45s, you know, of like whatever rock and easy listening before as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember which, which I bought for myself first, but my first uh, 12 inch was probably Planet Rock or Renegades of Funk. Hey. 
you know, sure. from the local mall. Yeah. <laughs> of, course. of course, that's when you used to go to the mall and get your records. Um, it's amazing. I mean, amazing. I miss sure. that. Yeah, there's something to be said for, for that whole process of trying to find music and, and get it before it was sold out and, you know, be the first one on your, your, you know, your crew or your block to have it and all that stuff. Well, we weren't that down. So it was just me and my <laughs> girlfriend, Rhonda, buying records that we wanted to listen to. We just didn't realize that um, other girls weren't really buying 12 inches or uh, pursuing hip hop as actively as we were. We had no idea what other girls were doing. Sure. <laughs> so I, I wonder if we were just the strange ones at National Record Mart, too. Like, what is what's up with That's these two funny. girls always in the hip hop section? Was there a time when you realized, I mean, you must have been at the jams and, you know, it's mostly guys. Uh, but was there a moment when you sort of realized that, that, you know, that made you different? Yeah, well, you know, we always knew it made us different in our little small town. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, when, when we went to local parties or what, what have you, um, you know, the small little hip hop events that might happen in a country area. Uh, we were the only two from our town there. And uh, often we were some of the only white people too. And uh, we just dove in head first cause we didn't think there was anything. We thought it was universal because of the back of that Renegades of Funk album and the, sure. <laughs> and the description of Zulu Nation and everything. We were, in our minds, we were, convinced that we could go to the Bronx and get down with Zulu Nation mm -hmm. and not, there'd be no problems and everybody would accept us and it'd be like a happy hip-hop universal community. That's so funny. That's <laughs> All so from funny. the back of that album. Right. I know it's got it's I mean it eventually worked but it wasn't that easy and it was yeah. <laughs> so what it was a lot so, of so you were, you were you're from out of Pittsburgh right? outside of Pittsburgh, right between Pittsburgh and Morgantown, West Virginia. So okay. it's very much the sticks. Mm -hmm. And so any hip hop that we got, we had to work hard for, or, you know, before we could even drive campaign, our mothers to drive us to the mall to see B-boys or, you know, just anything, drive us to the under 21 dance events. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we worked really hard for it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And I think that that working for it is like, a, uh, you know, it's a good way to really build that that attachment to it. Yeah. Because not just hand it to you. Right. No, we had to stay up late and record the one or two hours of hip hop that would play on Sunday night on the radio. Like mm -hmm. just so we had something to be aware of for the, the next week. Uh, work really hard, like just bother friends who had cousins that might have sent them a k-day mixtape like that was everything mm -hmm. and so like it's a you know our friend bosco from uniontown his cousin gave him a k-day mixtape so then we would try to get a copy of that and listen to that forever it, it yeah it's fascinating yeah for sure so um how'd you end up in new york and and you know finding yourself in in the hip-hop community there well, in Pittsburgh, I started throwing little parties and I would have a DJ Swamp come in and spin for me. And uh, I went to visit in New York for a Rocksteady anniversary one year and was really inspired by that. Um, and then I guess the following year, 
I was living in New York. Like I, I just made it happen and uh, mm-hmm. didn't have much money to move there. Or anything. Sure. But just was like, I felt like I did everything I could in Pittsburgh that I wanted to do. And I was working in mental health with juvenile delinquent girls. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I could easily take that, you know, degree and take it to New York and work in mental health there. So that's what I did. Worked at some gyms, worked in mental health. And then uh, DJ Swamp introduced me to the owner of DMC, Tony Prince. And so pretty much within a year, year and a half, I was working at DMC and uh, mm-hmm. no resume or anything. I just talked Tony into hiring me. Mostly, I think he hired me for selling, uh, you know, all the VHS tapes and right. split mats and stuff we had. Okay. But, um, but then I got to, the, the icing on the cake was I got to throw the battles and you know, yeah, I could sell. I'm good at selling, but mm-hmm. the battles was what I really wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I got my best job. Amazing. With no resume, Amazing. no college degree. Like, I don't know. I probably paid off a, a student loan for 25000 for a degree that I don't really use. Of course. <laughs> of course. As, as most of us have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's amazing. You know, obviously you talk to young people, they complain about, you know, they can't get a job without the experience or the, you know, what's on the resume and all that. And I think um, it's back to what we were talking about at the beginning. It's that hustle, right? It's the, it's like, I think it's the, it's that belief that, that no one's going to hire you that stops people from hiring you. I was, I was the same, you know, I, I was lucky not to, that that never occurred to me. You know, what yeah. I, mean? I didn't I didn't realize I even had to overcome that. I was like, of course, you're going to hire me. I'm here. Why, exactly. Why yeah. No one else wants to do this job. Put me on. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. We should we can all learn from that. Do you. Does that lesson still come up? I mean, obviously, now you're you know hugely experienced and you've done you've done it all. But does that still come up for you that like, you know, it doesn't matter if you've done it before or not. Ah, yeah, I wonder. Well, I, I, I guess I'm in positions where the work that comes to me is based on what I do. So I don't really have to worry so much about that. There might be some, there might be an occasional jam or some kind of event that's a little bit outside of my territory that I want to do and might not get the, get the opportunity, but whatever is, it's not meant to be then, you know what I mean? Sure. But I get so many other opportunities or make opportunities for myself that uh, the only thing I'm usually annoyed with, like, well, especially in New York throwing park jams was getting blocked from some park manager that didn't feel like having your event at their, at their park. And of course. you're not, you're not just doing it for the park manager. There's a whole community that's like yeah. waiting for this event. And the, uh, a park manager that just doesn't feel like it can shut your shit down mm-hmm. or a cop that doesn't want to give you a sound permit. But the interesting thing is it was park managers way more times than it was ever cops. Pa- the mm-hmm. community, the community uh, affairs division or the, whatever the police that give you the sound permits were usually cool. Mm-hmm. And the parks were the harder ones. I can't tell you how many times I cried over park managers just putting a wrench in my program and making me have to fight and go around and call connections. And it's silly. Like the people of New York that live in these communities, especially in 
Harlem or the Bronx or Spanish Harlem, they have no idea what they're not getting because mm -hmm. of a park manager. It's wild. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It, I, I mean, it's also not surprising, right? That like those people want to flex, that's their little kingdom and, and they want to rule it however they want to rule it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get it. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I, I had this same, you know, I've had similar experiences where you're, you're like, well, shit, I've done all these things. And now this one small <laughs> little thing with this dude is just going to stop me from, you know. Yeah, like, like we did, we did a b-boy battle, a Fable and I did a b-boy battle at Lollapalooza with Maddie Silver. I'm sure you know Maddie. Yeah, yeah of course. And uh, that was like this giant thing we did. But then I can't get right. a, a park in Spanish Harlem between four and eight p.m. on yeah. a Thursday. Right. Like. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's maddening. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I bet. For those of you that are trying to build a business like me, or maybe you're just trying to manage your money and and build some personal wealth, carrying a credit card debt is the worst. I know it can feel like a never-ending cycle. I learned that the hard way when I was young, had to dig my way out, and I told myself never again. I know a lot of people are facing hardship from uh, the last year of COVID, and so Upstart is there to help you regain your footing and get things back on track. Upstart's a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan. It's all online. You don't have to leave the house, put on a mask, go sit there face-to-face uh, -face with a lender, blah, blah, blah. Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smart rate for your loan. It's five minutes online rate check. Can You can see your rate up front anywhere from $1,000 to $50,000 and you can receive funds fast as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash rebelradio. That's upstart.com slash rebel radio. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash rebel radio. Do it now. Um, okay, so back to back to kind of finding your way in New York. By the way, I was I was at Zulu anniversary the 25th which I think was 94, uh. if, I, if I remember correctly. Me and Raymond went out there. Um, and that was when, you know, I was already deep into hip hop and my career in hip hop, but that, that experience changed my life again, you know, to just be there in the armory, you know, in the, in the park, you know, seeing, you know, that was, that was the closest I ever got to those, those jams in the Bronx or whatever that, you know, I was too young for, I was out here in the wrong part yeah. of the country um but yeah you know incredible yeah um, i wasn't i didn't go to that one but the first the first zulu anniversary i went to was you know probably in 96 you know since mm -hmm. i moved to new york in the in the summer um zulu flyer came by you know went down to fat beats looked for all the flyers and uh saw that zulu was coming up and i didn't really know anybody or know where that was happening in harlem <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was like, I didn't move here for, you know, to miss these kind of opportunities. Sure. So yeah, I stomped my way through Harlem and, uh, <laughs> and found it. And it was amazing. You know, the, the funny thing is that now I know how to read flyers. 
<laughs> and in, partic- in particular, Bambada would like to put Bootsy Collins, James Brown, and all his in Sly Stone on the flyers, right? As a tribute, right? But if you don't know how to read the flyer, you don't know that those three are not going to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's it, or or George sure. Clinton's not going to be there either. I mean, right. maybe sometimes someone might be. But yeah, so I learned to read flyers, especially old school flyers where they'll just put everybody on the flyer and you Mm -hmm. have to try to dissect Mm -hmm. who will be there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I get it. I remember we used to put, you know, all the homies that were, that would bring 10 people or whatever, put their names on the flyer. So you get them to work for free. Uh. (laughs) Of course, that's that's the tricks. That's nice. I, I, I never did that. I just was like, if there's three DJs on the flyer, at least you know with the Tools of War jam, that's exactly who's performing. Like sure. no fillers, no opening acts, no closing, no MCs, just three DJs all night. Yeah. <laughs> when did when did that vision for Tools of War come together? Was it was that the plan from the beginning? Or like obviously now, you know, it stands for, you know, something a real part of this culture. Um, having done, I don't I don't know how many, how many jams you've done. Oh man, years of jams. Yeah. Well, Fable, uh, well, Fable and I met at that Zulu anniversary, the first one I went to. And uh, we eventually uh, got married. And Mm -hmm. um, since since now we're like best friends, but we're not together now. Just Mm -hmm. so, (laughs) just so that's clear. So anyway, uh, he and I, uh, he would tell me about the jams that he went to back in the day, you know, whether they were on a beach or in a park or whatever. And I would be near tears at, you know, what they sounded like and how wonderful yeah. they might have been. And so it wasn't our plan from the beginning. Like he, he made Tools of War as a means to sell, you know, you know, archival vintage clothing or belt buckles mm-hmm. and different things he wanted to sell. And then I took it and turned it into a newsletter, which was the newsletter was basically my picks for the week of uh, things that were going on that, and I, I still find it to this day, it's a problem, um, even though I don't do the newsletter, uh, people don't tell each other what's going on. So you and I might be talking right, right now and I might know the most fantabulous thing going on right where you live, like next door, and mm-hmm. I don't bother to tell you. So I was furious that I was missing great shows. Mm. And so I, I set about to like digging and finding these events that we yeah. could all be together as a community for. So yeah. the Tools of War newsletter build up. And uh, eventually, I worked with Lord Finesse before. He said, hey, these this group in the park, um, Cretona, Friends of Cretona Park in the Bronx, wants to have some little you know, performances before their hip-hop movie series. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told them I don't have time, so I wanted to introduce you to them. And so Lord Finesse basically gave me to Friends of Cretona Park um, for the work he didn't really have patience to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how the Park Jam started, where, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of legends just doing, like, brief performances. And then the movie started. And then the following year, they got rid of the movie series and kept the Park Jams. And mm-hmm. then... We built from there with the support of helpful parks people at the time, including this is really cool. So Lord Finesse's DJ, Mike Smooth, is high up in the park system. 
And at that time he was at Cretona Park and uh, he was so super helpful and has been my mentor ever since for park events and getting through the red tape. So yeah, there's hip hop heads within the system too that could be very helpful. So yeah, we did, we stayed doing Cretona Park from 2003 on and uh, probably till about 2019, I think was our last jam. And then we expanded, like sometimes we would do Queens at the invitation of the parks commissioner. Like she was really supportive, Dorothy Lewandowski. But then you'll find another park commissioner that will shut you down, you know? Mm -hmm. So Dorothy would invite us out to Queens, roll out the red carpet for us. But then in the Bronx and Harlem, we'd still be struggling and, you know, fighting for our right to party. So, uh, yeah. And I did, you know, we did Digger's Delight in Harlem at St. Nicholas Park, where only... The, D- the DJs could not play anything familiar whatsoever or recognizable. They had to pull out the rarest diggingest stuff they had. And if you played a classic party rocking set, like a crowd pleasing set, I would be so furious. Like I, I couldn't even understand why DJs wouldn't like follow the direction. And uh-huh. some DJs get weird, like, well, I'm losing the crowd. And I'm like, we're dictating what the audience is going to be here. Like there's no right. money to be made at a park jam. So it doesn't right. matter if the crowd leaves, like the right mm-hmm. people will come. And eventually you'd have like a crowd full of like Lord Finesse, Large Pro, Biz, any who's who that came in and they wanted to hear what everybody else was digging so mm-hmm. that when they spun, they'd be ready, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so Cortona Park Jams was the classic party rocking, leg- only, only legends on the lineup, um, legendary DJs, but if you were an MC slash DJ, you could be on too, but mostly it was just DJs and uh, with Kaz hosting. And uh, we did a Spanish Harlem hop, which was more open format, but still, you know, true school. We tried to keep it mm-hmm. clean, um, you know, be very picky about what DJs we put on. Eventually we'd have some clashes with some, some DJs that are considered popular. So then we like, said we're only putting on DJs that are our favorite DJs that are our friends so that like settled that down too you know what I mean because you know you don't you don't when you're doing a park jam and there's really no money to be made you don't want to be dealing with the diva egos you right. know there yeah. nobody's getting paid enough for that so we <laughs> so we figured out ways to cut that problem out as well okay yeah I love that that's good that's good problem solving yeah. Well, yeah. And also, you know, like just working with DJs and not MCs, because, you know, it, it takes a certain character to be an MC mm-hmm. and uh, and to be that front person and to be that confident. And um, sometimes the MC would take over a show. So the only way an MC could get on at Cretona Park would be if the DJ allowed it. Right. So I would even ask the DJs in advance, like, hey, do you want anybody on your set? And they'd say no. Then when their MC came over to me, like, oh, you know, Theodore wants me on the lineup. I'm like, he said he did it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd be ready for that, too. And those are tricks of the trade. Like you you find out you learn people's MOs in advance so that you can block it because you don't want an awkward situation where you stop someone from getting on the mic that someone actually did want. Right. But most of the time, the DJs do not want help on the mic. Mm. They just want to rock their set. Yeah, why would you want to be the background person? Right. It's interesting, and I think you know, you know, I, I promoted clubs for a long time, and it took me a while to learn that like your job is to really, you know, it's not just about getting people in the building so they can drink, right? It 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 is very much about 
shaping the experience that people have from the moment they get a flyer until, you know, the next day when they woke up and said, man, that was a, an amazing night. Exactly. And, and, you know, and we forget about that or, or, you know, it took me a while at least to learn that, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta make some of those hard decisions and enforce them and, and really, you know, know that you're taking people on a journey um, even to what, you, what you're saying about the, the set list, right? That, it, you know, you can understand why somebody wants to drop, you know, celebrate in the middle of a set because everyone's going to lose their minds because they know the song, you know? But if that's not what, if that's not the experience you're creating. Yeah, exactly. Then, I'm glad someone else understands it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> look, I mean, I, you know, I love all kinds of DJs. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's fine that they're just playing, you know, the hits or whatever, right? Like, but I, but I especially appreciate those DJs who, like, they're taking you on, on a journey that, and they have a vision. And I think, you know, when it's done right, it's like, you know, it's like, I, I can sit back and just enjoy myself and not worry about it, right? Like, you, you feel like you're in good hands. Yeah. And with the professional, well, with someone that actually listens, but a lot of DJs will not read an email that you wrote to them or <laughs> follow the theme. Like it's like one, one time we set up a Cretona Park and there was a legendary DJ that I wasn't really cool with him, but he ba- he found me at an event, begged me to put him on. Mm-hmm. So I put him on and I don't think he expected to be going first either, but uh, we rotated DJs, but here's the deal with four hours and everybody's a headliner, everybody's a legend, someone's right. gonna have to go first. So anyway, uh, Theodore told him to set, Grand Wizard Theodore told him to set up. And uh, he was like, but nobody's here yet. And Theodore's like, don't worry, you know, cause mm-hmm. people just come out of anywhere. Like maybe they're waiting in cars, I don't know. But just like mm-hmm. all of a sudden, whoosh, there's a giant audience. So mm-hmm. he gets on and, <laughs> and I, I wasn't, I must not have been background listening like I normally do. But Theodore comes over and he's like, he's playing Drake. And uh, I was just so distraught because it is, it what you weren't supposed to play anything past like early 80s. And how is right. Drake? So this guy never read any emails. His quote manager never communicated anything. Yeah. Um, and he showed up with his typical set list that he probably had programmed on Serato. And it was mm-hmm. heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was better than that. I just didn't understand why he was doing it. And it was because he just didn't read or follow directions and a lot or keep with the theme. And I'll say this, a lot of DJs have no idea, um, you know, how many gigs they might lose because they can't stick to a theme. I'm not going to recommend that. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. Like I could, I could find any DJ to play top 40. Like that's not even special to me. Mm-hmm. How you mix it could be, but that wasn't even mm-hmm. special here. But it was mm-hmm. hysterical that Theodore came over like, he's dude's playing Drake. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> At an old school jam. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's, but, but, you know, like I said, you, you can understand why, right? Because people, people love Drake, right? And Some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, people. like, you know, you get, you get, you get, um, you know, DJs get reinforced, they get positive reinforcement, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's easy sometimes to play to the crowd instead of lead, lead the crowd. 
Yeah. But I'm saying you can't advertise that you're having a true sure. school jam. Yeah, of course. Of like course. that's not even. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've had heartbreaking incidents like that where, especially if someone's, spe- this is wild too. So I might get a DJ from Japan that's super dope, but his handlers wouldn't have told him what the theme was. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. I'll be like, why is he playing planet rock at diggers the light? You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. So yeah, you, you have to deal with it, but it's hard. It's hard to keep your cool when your when your vision is going off to the side, you know. Yeah. Or someone decides to do a DMC routine, even though they never battled before, they decide uh-huh. to do a DMC routine at your diggers delight. Right. Completely uncalled for. Like, like, dude, you didn't even enter DMCs and now you're auditioning here in my park. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. So- so talk about the DMC. You know, I'm I'm always I've always been fascinated with DMC. Um, partly that I mean, obviously it's it's keeping this part of the art, the culture alive, or or I don't know if it's keeping it alive, but it's you know it's bringing it to a world stage. You know, comes out of the UK, which we always, at least you know, I, we we tend to think of hip hop as an American art form. Um, and I think now, you know, we're seeing, now we see that it's truly global, but it really has been, right? DMC started in the eighties, right? Um, yeah, they, they started in the eighties, but the battles didn't start until 85. Like they started as what quote disco mix club. Like they made these cool, those cool records with mashups and mixes on them. The DJs could play and as they subscribed to the, you know, program and so 85 they threw a battle and uh it wasn't it was a mixing battle Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't until closer to 86 when dj cheese from the u.s won as a special invite since it wasn't like a come one come all dj battle yet dj cheese was invited and uh came through and you know did a turntableist set and that set the stage for where DMC would go. And I give credit for them because if I was, for me, sticking to a theme is important. So if I was dedicated to having a mixing battle, you know, would a turntablist win? Um, Tony Prince, the founder, is very open-minded to allow the battle to develop organically and go where it Mm. wants to go. Like if it becomes an EDM battle, he's down. Like Mm -hmm. he's so more open-minded than Mm -hmm. myself in allowing that to go. But I'm really happy that it it stays turntablism, even though DJs use all different kinds of music now. But yeah, 85 was the first battle. And I believe the winner was Roger Johnson from the UK. And you could find his, there's no video, but you can hear audio of it. And it was pretty dope, you know, if you look on YouTube. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. So, th- you know, to me, that's interesting that, that, you know, this is, again, I, I, you know, at least I forget that this has been a global culture now for three decades, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and that, uh, you know, now ZMC is, is all over the world. And, and I think, you know, I think some of the, the innovation I just saw, uh, the nine-year-old girl, I forget her name. Michelle. 
Michelle from Dubai, right? Who took 14th and is incredible. I watched the video and it's like. Yeah, the, ju the judges aren't just handing out scores. I was really happy that uh, she placed in the top 20, which mm -hmm. gets her one minute elimination round on our live stream. But the cool thing was her dad advanced. Like, and normally you never hear about her dad because she gets all the attention. Of course. You know, of course. So her dad advanced in the top 10. So DJ right. Shock is in there. And mm -hmm. I'm really happy about, I'm really happy about our judges too. Cause like, you know, some people would say, oh, well, you're going to be politically correct and include women, or you're going to be politically correct and, or go for the PR and get a kid, you know, but we have no control over what the judges pick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I pick the judges, but I don't pick the mm -hmm. DJs, you know? Right. So you, we send the scores, we send, we send a, a playlist to the DJs. And they send me back their top three or their top 10 or whatever. And so I'm, I'm just as surprised as anybody else when I get the scores, it, you know, mm -hmm. and then sometimes I don't agree. Sometimes I feel like a judge might have missed somebody or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But it's really cool that I have this international community of DJs from, you know, everywhere, like Japan, France, England, you know, uh, who else judges? Canada, different, di wherever there's a world champion, they could judge. Right. And the the poor. So this year, I'll say this. This year was my first year organizing DMC World Battles. Mm -hmm. And uh, the we introduced eight categories from, let's say, April through December. And uh, there's several new battle categories that DJs have been like demanding, like beat juggling and all scratch battle. Okay. Uh, portableism had already been happening. Mm -hmm. uh, we're brought back teams. Uh, we're doing an all vinyl battle, which should be really interesting because there's a bunch of people that complain all the time on uh, DMC's uh, social media. Oh, um, they write stuff like, yeah, but what if you just didn't have Serato or, right. you know, blah. and they sure. call people button pushers. It's really like it's really dismissive of DJs, especially world champions that probably did come up on vinyl. Mm -hmm. But you're you're talking as if you're the vinyl pro, right. you know what I mean? I, I assume that it's something trolls make themselves like it makes trolls feel good to write this stuff. But course, anyway, right. I someone said that us throwing an all vinyl battle was was me trolling, but uh, <laughs> like trolling back. That's but right. here's the deal: will people enter? You know what I mean? Like, and then that all vinyl champion advances to the world finals. So even the people that um, fell off from watching DMC and mm -hmm. hate Serato and hate everything will have at least one DJ they can watch sure. at the world level. And then there's a, a foundation battle, which is basically a throwback battle. Um, you could think anything from the year two, and winning sets around 2000 on back mm -hmm. um, of funky foundational musicality, originality, um, you almost like you know the return of the dj series where mm -hmm. you know if you listen to volume one you could practically sing along with it and right. you want to hear it over and over again mm -hmm. and so um this all found this foundation battle discourages pre-production um so that because that that's been a growing trend right and it, and it might result might be the result like the result of the pre-production might be that dj sets winning sets are really really extra technical Mm -hmm. And they might have alienated some fans in mm -hmm. the process. 
So the foundation battle, I hope will bring back, you know, that the funk, the funky flavor that's sometimes yeah. missing, not all the time missing, but sometimes mm -hmm. I wish things were a little more funky. And uh, yeah. So anyway, we have like a full schedule of DJ uh, battles this year. And just with the portableist battle alone, we had DJs from places that I'd never seen before, like Nepal, Myanmar. That DJ wow. actually used his platform to talk about what's going on there, too. So that was kind of dope. That's and cool. uh, yeah, just so many different DJs from across the world just want to scratch on a, a portable turntable. <laughs> and th there was 85 entrants for that. And I didn't expect this, but the next battle was beat juggling. We had 107 entrants for that one from all over the world. Wow. And so, yeah, so the next battle that launches is all vinyl. So I don't know where that's going, but I think the scratch battle will be like extra, extra, a lot of DJs. I don't know how we're going to sort through everybody. Like to get a judge to judge 107 videos was sure. hard. That's a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but it's beautiful because we, it's um, what I hope through DMC, what we do is, help DJs progress the art form. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Keep it alive, but also progress it, you know? And now with, you know, so many other DJ battles falling to the wayside, right. DMC is, you know, one of the only ones still standing. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we hope to continue and just keep finding innovative ways to make battles for the DJs because without them entering, we don't have anything. So the battles have to be angled towards them. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, I think, um, it, you know, it's probably me not really paying attention, but, you know, my perspective was that for many years, you know, Qbert and Scratch Pickles had really like taken the art form as far as it was going to go at that time. Right. And, and, you know, I didn't see, again, I wasn't maybe watching closely enough, but I didn't see people really doing something, you know, revolutionary on top of what they brought to it. Um, but I think that's different now. I think the technology, you know, again, with the, you know, the, all the, you know, the buttons on the mixers and the, the um, portable turntables, right? Like all these, all the technology has opened up the creativity for people to, to now, you know, keep pushing that art form. I, the only thing I think is weird and I don't necessarily understand it was people, um, you know, people that don't battle were so mm -hmm. mad when uh, Serato digital vinyl system was allowed in the battle. Okay. That was 2011. Uh, mm -hmm. Vajra won. Now he's known as Chris Carnes. He's DJs with pretty lights. Yep. And so Chris won and no one was really mad at his set and no one called him a button push or anything like they liked everything about his set but they still hated that Serato was allowed. And uh, the funny thing since is that when, you know, I throw battles with all the movie, um, with all the clips for movies you could use, all the sayings, all the mm -hmm. excellent things you can grab and, and put in your program. Mm -hmm. I'm just shocked that with all the music available and everything, the DJs aren't, don't seem to really be taking advantage of what the DVS allows. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, a million, sure. a million great disses that DJs aren't using. Like right. there's a million songs that DJs aren't messing with. Like it's, it's yeah. so interesting to me why, but I guess to each his own or her own, you know? Yeah. And I think, look, 
I, I get, you know, people we're, we're resistant to change. Right. And, and yeah. I know, you know, I know, you know, how many DJs, you know, didn't like CDs, didn't like Serato that now, you know, love it and, and, you know, rely on it and, and couldn't, you know, wouldn't want to go back. No, um, they don't want to carry those crates. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing at a club, like at a regular club where you're just party rocking, who really cares if you're using a controller Sure. Or turntables, like it's it's a nice look when you see someone using turntables in a mixer. Mm -hmm. But if it's not really required, or it's a lot of extra lugging around, you know, when you could just put a controller in your backpack and still right. play the greatest stuff for for people to dance to, sure. I, there's a time and a place to be an equipment snob. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like park jams, definitely. We always wanted turntables, and of course DMC. But regular party rocking, nightclub stuff. There's no need to be that, you know, purist about it, you know. I agree. And, and even, you know, I mean, the first time I met Apollo, which was back in the 90s, right? He said to me, like, you, you should be able to listen with your eyes closed. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's still got to work, right? And, and I think that's ultimately, yeah, it's great to watch people and see the crazy shit they're doing with their hands or whatever. But, you know, um, it's music. Exactly. And, and so what it, you know, what it sounds like is, is most important. Um, exactly. Selection is ever, I think selection is everything and whatever you need to do to have your selection available, mm -hmm. which DVS helps. Cause you know, you, how, yeah. I've seen red alert, you know, travel with crates and crates and then, mm -hmm. then stuff started getting expensive, like charging you per luggage and stuff. Oh yeah, of course. And, and you know, TSA is not to be trusted for, like, not stealing records and different things oh, like I that, mean, too. Yeah, I mean, I, we know, we both know people whose records didn't show up. They didn't make it in time for the gig. There's yeah. All kind of horror stories. Exactly. So this is saving DJ gigs across yeah. the world. And, and now the uh, new technology being phased is really interesting because they're, um, they're, like Z Trip said this about them, that uh, they're basically saving his gigs because he does require turntables, you know, when he shows up. But a lot of times you show up to a club and they tell you that they have Techniques 1200s in perfect working order, but it's a giant yeah, yeah. lie. Yeah. And someone spilled stuff on them or whatever. Sure. So with, with this needleless technology, phase allows you to still use your Technique 1200s without all the hiccups and everything else that you might get or without having oh, to take it apart. I don't even know about that. Yeah, yeah. check it out. It's P-H-A-S-E. I'm not even affiliated with them. They're not my sponsor. It's uh -huh. just technology I'm talking they about. They should be. Yeah. Well, God willing, one day, you know, it's, it's slowly but surely. It took them a while to get out and now they've teamed up with Serato. So okay. things are very promising. But yeah, um, they're, they're saving a lot of gigs on some janky turntables. You know, four DJs who want to use 1200s and stuff. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, how did you, you know, you, you talked about Tony being, being you know, pretty flexible. And, and I think, I, you know, we get from you that you're, you're much more <laughs> focused. Um, so tell me about like how, when you, you know, when you, when you got involved in DMC USA and sort of started to develop your vision and then how do you work with Tony 
to sort of make his vision work and make yours work? And what's that? How's that relationship work? <laughs> well, I, I first worked for with him from 98 through 2000 as an employee of DMC. And we had an mm-hmm. office in the in New York, you know, right by the mm-hmm. Flatiron building. And then I left for a while and came back in 2008. And with 2008 on, I was a DMC branch manager with no office, no, you know, just kind of a fixer upper. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So in the, in the late nineties, it was more challenging with Tony because he had his vision. I had my vision. Um, He, he made a mixing battle, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas my aim was to try to, you know, keep it more hip hop oriented. Turntablist. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but since that time, you know, like after I left DMC for a little bit, I did the allies all-star beat down. I did Zulu battles. I did a vinyl combat battle with Shore Rain and uh, Serato. Like just, Mm -hmm. I can make up battles. I have a ton of themes. Mm -hmm. So I did that, but um, 2008 taking DMC back and having control of what I did with DMC USA was good. And then Tony, um, more relying on me like a consultant, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I had more say in what was going to happen to the point where it's now it's, you know, in late 2020, he, you know, asked me or to, well, I guess maybe in January, he saw the productions we did for DMC last year online. Like they were like full mm-hmm. TV shows with Qbert scratchy wow. seal hosting and different things that we had commercials, we had showcases you know, mm-hmm. even people who didn't follow DJ Battles enjoyed it. That's so great. he saw he saw our production and wanted that for this year. And um, yeah, and so from everything from major sponsors on down, I have like a, a lot of say and my opinion is respected. And mm-hmm. even convincing them to add this many battles on because, you know, a lot of people did have cold feet about that. We're like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work and how many people really want to, you know, and a reportableist battle or bee juggling battle. So like, I'm really happy right. that it was even more than I thought. Yeah. And, uh, and the, and the sponsors, you know, we have, we have pioneer DJ, we have rain, we have techniques, we have virtual DJ now for the first year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's looking good. It's looking very promising. And, and I'm so happy that we do have companies that understand what we're doing and the support we get. So, yeah. So in, in Tony's, Tony's case, I think he's, sat back a little bit and let me take the wheel and mm-hmm. he'll just tell me to make lefts and rights or, you know, curve mm-hmm. up ahead if we need to. And yeah. he's pretty gangster too. I'm pretty amused. Like the other day he just made up a new rule. <laughs> and I was like, that's all. I was like, that wasn't in the rules. He's like, yeah, but we could make up new stuff. And so <laughs> he, he made nice. some new, new things that were really cool. And so I was like, Oh, cool. You know, and it, and it's cool to have what a, 76 or 77 year old, you know, you're collaborating with him and he has great ideas about the battle. Like who else is, what other senior citizens are spending time thinking about the nuances of turntablism? Fascinating. Incredible. I know. And and he's been doing it all these years. So it's kind of like you're working with an industry veteran, you know, Mm -hmm. that was around back in the new music seminar days. He knows Tom Silverman. He knows everybody. I think, uh, one time when I was at the DMC office and we were like answering phones in 98, 99, 2000, mm-hmm. David Geffen called for him. And I was like, it's probably the most popular person I've ever spoken to on the phone that didn't call for me, you know? Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, great. Tony's a baller. Like he's for sure. He's well connected. It's interesting. On top of, and then on Saturdays, uh, I'll listen to his radio show on his radio station, and uh, he'll play like Elvis and oldies and stuff, mm. and you get to actually hear. Like I, I didn't listen to Alan Freed back, you know, I wasn't alive, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's really fascinating to hear like an original pirate radio DJ that like spun on that ship, you know, that yeah. England tried to sink, like yeah. to actually hear how they played and how they hosted and how they like to sing over songs and make little catchphrases. Like mm. it's all connected, like from the fifties DJs all the way up. It's fascinating to hear mm-hmm. The, the approach and the fact that they'll play a whole song, which you don't really hear now in our, right. in our generation, you'd be lucky yeah. if you heard two verses. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm learning. For sure. So what, what is working with him or that? What have you learned about when to fight for something and when not to? There was, <laughs> there was times where I've like, he doesn't know this, so this will be the first time. Hopefully, he isn't watching the interview. But uh, there was a time in the late 90s where um, someone had the idea to add more categories that another battle was doing. And, um, you know, that battle was also in the US, and mm-hmm. I respected them, and I didn't want us to look like we were biting. So there were, there were some elements that I said, okay, yeah, head-to-head battle, nobody owns that. Right. You know, team battle could be anybody's. We, DMC was actually having team battles before teams were allowed. So like Hubert, mm-hmm. Mike, and Apollo was a team right. that if you, if I, okay, and I wasn't there at the time running DMC, but if I was a DJ from another country that had to battle those guys, like oh, yeah. it's, it's terribly unfair. Of course. <laughs> to have to battle Cubert and Mike and Apollo as a team. Like, so yeah. DMC like said, okay, you know, I, allegedly they said, oh, you guys can enter again, but on as solos, not as a team. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that led to the whole DMC band, you know, mm-hmm. them from competing because they were so good. And, you know, the rumor right. went that way. Yeah. Um, and I asked Tony about that. I was like, why would you ban them from competing? He's like, I, and he didn't even know about the rumor. He's like, I never banned oh, you're them. Kidding. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, there was a the year that somebody from another DMC branch wanted to take some categories that some other competition had. I said, well, <laughs> it was really bold because it really was my favorite job and I wouldn't have wanted to lose it. But I said, mm-hmm. well, if you guys are going to do that, me and, and my assistants, Glenn Browski. I was like, me and Glenn Browski are out. And um, wow. <laughs> and Glenn looked like, oh, crap. Like, what are you? <laughs> I finally have gainful employment and you're just going to ruin it. And um, they actually didn't go with it. <laughs> Good thing. Good thing for yeah, Glenn. Yeah, but it was, it was a crazy bluff. Like I, but I felt strongly, <laughs> though, because, you know, I didn't want to get my integrity and my reputation. I didn't want to be affected sure. by the appearance as if we were biting because another company had a successful run at those categories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out, but yeah, he does take my advice a lot. And um, especially now with this year. So I'm really, I'm really happy that he's this open-minded about my enthusiasm towards all these new categories and, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and not just, you know, and not just the DJ's responses, but also, you know, sponsorship interest is so crucial because you could have a lot of, of great ideas and no sponsors, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> which I've Absolutely. had. Yeah. yeah I, I'll do things without sponsors, like for the park jams, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like anybody was trying to market in the Bronx, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that, the mm -hmm. demographic. Right. That's not happening with like your major companies like that sure. are based in Japan or wherever. So uh, what I did was a trade and I'd say, okay, Rain, you give me four sets of something worth $500 each of gear. Mm -hmm. And then I pass that on to the DJ who spins for me. They get one $500 chunk of gear. It could be like mm -hmm. short needles and microphones or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The DJ gets that in return for their set. So that's why also it's more important that they go with the theme is I'm actually paying you right. in gear, you know, and in mixers and in speakers and everything for you to do this. This isn't, you know, when do you get paid $500 for a one hour set? Mm -hmm. You know, not often. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Especially when there's no money to be made at the door or anything. So that's what I did to, return the favor to the DJs who took their time. So that was, I hope, yeah. And, and then that goes along with tools of war, which is giving all the tools you need to DJ or all the tools you need to battle, putting them in your hands. So yeah. it kind of went in keeping with our theme. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm um, th thinking about that, you know, obviously, you know, hip hop in the, in the commercial sense is such big business. Um, and you know, so much of it is about getting rich. Um, and so, you know, for for youngsters that are coming up in the culture today, what what do you see that's attracting young people to the underground? It it really might be their parents first. You know, their parents mm -hmm. love of it. Yeah. You know, since you and I probably didn't grow up with hip hop parents like some kids are now. You sure, know. Sure. Of course. Like your parents are like, here, let me put you on to needle to the groove. And here's Mantronics, right. you know, like no, no yeah, one's yeah. doing that for us. No. So these kids have access to all this music and all this backstory that we didn't. And, um, you know, some kids might love it. And, uh, you know, especially with something dynamic like b-boying, b-girling, you know, that's an easy one. Kids can fall all over mm -hmm. the place and not get hurt, sure. you know? Yeah. And so, uh, DJ is a little more technical since you have to have all this gear to start. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's more challenging. And most parents aren't going to buy. Although less now. I mean, you mentioned virtual yeah. DJ. So my yeah. son, you know, we have our 1200s in the living room, but he's got his, he's got virtual DJ on his computer and he can just mess around and do remixes. And it's amazing. Exactly. And virtual DJ is like working with Cuber now. Like yeah. they, they have yeah. programs that can, that might possibly appeal to the battle DJ now as well. Mm. Um, so I've, I've heard a lot of good things, you know, not yeah, And then, yeah, just virtual DJ being a gateway drug for it's kids. Incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah. yeah, they could do stuff off their phone, but you know, most parents will wait till their kid is like, let's say little Michelle. The dad probably had a setup, but any parent that doesn't have DJ gear would probably wait 
mm-hmm. little bit to see if their kid was actually serious about this. Like, mm-hmm. it's too bad that they don't have that Gemini starter kit like they sold back in the day, you know? I remember that. They should bring yeah. that back. And yeah, the Radio no Shack mixer, like, just, right? like, if you really want to do this, you got to work hard for it. you got to build your crates. <laughs> yeah, that's but, not our, uh, that's not the world we live in anymore, no. is it? No, and I have to remind old timers, like, when they, they get mad about um, the youth using digital vinyl systems. I'm like, these kids didn't even grow up with access to record stores like we had. Like, there wasn't a record store everywhere you could go to. Like, when I got DMC back in 2008 from 2000, oh, man, like, my whole store list was down to this. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, all all the stores I used to sell to, oh, it was heartbreaking, you know, because especially Mm -hmm. after 9-11, that that whole situation hit the economy so hard that people stopped sponsoring big money, just everything slowed down. And I feel like that, if anything really hit the culture um, event wise and, you know, in, in the, you know, it just hit us so hard was that just the economy Mm -hmm. crashing and Mm -hmm. no one ever being sure what was going to happen. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think kids' parents are getting them into it because I don't know necessarily where they access hip hop other places. But then you'll watch Yo Gabba Gabba and you'll see Biz on there. Mm-hmm. You'll see B Boys, you know. Like it's, right. it's that's amazing. I watch Yo Gabba Gabba just for like my hip hop friends being on it, you know. Nice. Or yeah. uh, one time, uh, our niece saw the story about Grand Wizard Theodore on Disney. And she repeated the oh, story. Cool. Yeah, she was like, Grand Wizard Theodore invented the scratch in 1975 when he was only 12. Or so. And I was like, what a little Jasmine saying this, you know? Mm-hmm. So those little things. And I, I can't say what it is yet, but there's a really cool thing happening for the inventor of the scratch, Grand Wizard Theodore, um, that, uh, that will also cement him in the minds of kids. So there's cool uh, things cool. happening because people like you and I, are in places to make those things happen now. Yeah. You know? So no, I, the- yeah, I, I, I love it. Uh, I was just, I just interviewed Rob Swift the other day and, you know, he's obviously he's got his new, uh, his DJ school, you know, and I was talking to him about like, you know, how do you convince people to, to work that hard? Right. at something <laughs> that you could do really easily with the push of a button. Right. And what, and, and I loved, his answer was that, you know, it's, it's all about the history. It's about connecting them to the stories and the tradition. Right. And, and I think, you know, that's, you know, kind of to what you're saying, right. Is like, I think people want to be part of something. Yeah. Right. And, and this, this, um, you know, to feel like there's a lineage and to dig into the stories you know, of, of the pioneers or of the guys, you know, throughout the years at DMC who, who advanced the art form to the next level. Like, I think that's, that's what, for me, that's what makes it more than just music, you know, sound coming out of a speaker. Yeah. And it, but it has to be available to the kids. Like harder with DMC uh, battles is when you go into a club and they don't allow all ages, Right. you know, so there's some cities that wouldn't allow it. So it would be harder. Like, a, right. a, a child DJ could enter as long as their guardian was with them right, at right. the club, but all ages just couldn't come to the club. So yeah. that was a lot harder with the park jams. It was beautiful because 
you know, the kids got to be there. They got to witness, you know, you see cool Herc and Melly Mel and different people mm-hmm. walking around and biz mm-hmm. shows up and flash shows up, cool stuff happening. And so you actually have like hip hop senior citizens with yeah. hip hop's youngest, uh, you know, newest comers, let's say one and two year olds or something. And um, the kids get to see B-boys and B-girls and different other mm-hmm. things and they get inspired. So inevitably someone's little child will be trying to do some B-boy moves that they saw at the park. And mm-hmm. all that is so crucial. That's why like now that uh, God willing, we're putting the pandemic behind us and things are getting safer. It's so important to have the actual live events where the community can get together, but especially yeah. where the youth can witness hip hop. Like we did something here in Denver with Lord Finesse DJing and OC came along just as a surprise. Nice. And um, yeah, people were people who bought, it wasn't a popular party because I think Denver missed a lot it's of hip hop. Yeah. Yep. It's maddening. Like people were like, who's Lord Finesse. It's heartbreaking, you know, like, but we no, had a really, yeah, we had a really dope. Mountains. Yeah. We had a really dope party though. Asia one showed up and all kind of, nice. You know, Ivan and different people were breaking and Lord mm-hmm. Finesse was there. And OC got on the mic because Lord Finesse had like some uh, like he was just getting over a cough or a cold or something. So mm-hmm. it, w- it was actually like one of my favorite hip hop moments since I've been here of events I've done. And uh, some people came up and they were like, wait, you know, probably like 21 or something. They were like, oh, my God, you have to keep doing this. Like, I've never witnessed this before. Yeah. You know, and that and yeah. that's everything right there is. That's so cool is in giving that like or when we saw people come to the bronx uh uh, you know the group it's uh, they're from france from marseille called i am they're Uh like so anyway they one of the first years of cortona park the park manager got um i forget what the name of the sponsor was the sponsor and uh a french company and um that's when park managers are really helpful when they get sponsors Uh And, and the company wanted to bring in I am. And so they brought I am to the Bronx and the people who were with them uh, just broke down in tears. Like they couldn't believe that there was yeah. Melly Mel. They were in the Bronx. They were like, you know, all the yeah. energy is there. And so that's if when people break down and cry at the park jams, or even if I do, <laughs> that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm creating yeah. what I missed really essentially that's, yeah, that's my right. private party. Mm. that you're welcome to come to but this is the, my lineup of bambata jazzy j and red alert was one of my mm-hmm. favorites mm-hmm. another time uh, cash money and th- these these are the things you do for yourself too and you don't see it coming but cash money was djing at the park and i just felt i was like pacing and pacing like i don't know what it was but what was happening was <laughs> i realized that afterwards he had Planet Rock playing and then he started cutting over top of it. And mm-hmm. like to, that to me was just everything. Like one of the most awesome DJs, one of the most awesome party rockers, one of my yeah. favorite songs, the best scratching. I was beside myself. Like, so there's times sure. like that where you just break down and cry over the beauty of the culture. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, um, as you said, we're, we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic. Tell me about you know, what's the future look like for you, for Tools of War, for DMC? What are you excited about if you look to the, the next year ahead? Okay, well, I'll say this. I hope 
<laughs> it's so easy to throw online battles that I hope I don't get spoiled. You know, like <laughs> I don't have to lug gear in. I don't have to worry about prizes not being shipped. I don't have to worry right. about putting banners up. You know, it, it shows. It, 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 I mean, obviously I get it. Um, it also, I would assume it's harder to make an engaging experience for people to watch. Yeah, well, and, the, and I think that uh, my team, uh, Antrix um, from Battle Ave and I for DMC USA are doing that with the battles. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen a lot of interesting ways people are making experiences, you know, online. Mm-hmm. And so I would hope that in, like this year, I'm not doing any live battles that I know of. So let's say for 2022, we do live battles where we're back in the clubs for at least regional DJ battles. And maybe the other stuff can go online so that still mm-hmm. the world can, can participate. Cause yeah. what, a, what about the DJ in Myanmar who doesn't have a DMC branch, you know, right. I want sure. him to keep competing and the yeah. DJ from Nepal. So yeah. um, in that way, I, I see online and live battles happening so the community can still get together for the park jams, I will follow Fable's lead on that. If he wants to do stuff in New York City, you know, I'm either behind him or go there and help, you know, whatever mm-hmm. he wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's been, you know, integral in the park culture longer than I have, you know. Right. right. And so, you know, and he has great visions and, you know, does a lot of cool stuff. So whatever he wants to do, I'm down for as tools of war. Mm-hmm. And then uh yeah, and then you never know what other opportunities are coming my way, you know, with, like I said, as friends like you and I and our other friends of our, our same age and older get into key positions in yeah. places. Absolutely. What's going to happen? You know, what opportunities are going to, you know, who's going to get into some major media show, you know, and mm-hmm. put us on TV or something, you know. Definitely. Who knows? No, I love it. I love it. Um, cool. Well, I got to do a quick lightning round before I let you get back. Okay. To um, what Hope is I didn't your favorite? Too long. Oh no, no, this is great. Okay. I, I love these stories and so much fun to to hear it all. Um, what's your favorite city to visit? It's a cross between. Uh, well, okay, New Orleans, New Orleans, and San Francisco. Um, okay. Saying that I didn't live there, though, like New York, of course, would be great to visit now that I don't live there. <laughs> but, yeah, of course. but New Orleans and San Francisco always yeah well I grew up in San Francisco but New Orleans is, is such an incredible place to visit for sure magic yeah the 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 way they've preserved the culture and the music and everything is I sometimes I'll just break down and cry over that like when I see mm. something you know beautiful that comes out of there like a second yeah. line or something and yeah it's incredible I mean you know, there's something special about cities that are really driven by music. And, you know, New York and San Francisco are both of those. I think New Orleans takes it to the next level. Like you yeah. said, just people in the streets, you know, you walk down the street and you hear literally world-class drumming just coming from, you know, across the way. And the kids are learning instruments. Yeah. You know what I don't miss? Humidity. I don't miss that at all. <laughs> yeah, you don't get that in Denver. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Like, because... I thought about like one of the last days I was in New York before I like officially moved here and how sweaty and hot it was and how, you know, especially because I'm Muslim and I have like more clothes on than other people on the street. I was 
like I had all the linens and silks or whatever light clothes I had. Mm -hmm. And I was walking really slow so as to not build a sweat. <laughs> oh, my God. That was madness. That's so funny. It's crazy. It's, nice. it's a whole different program. But then people were like, aren't you hot with all the clothes on? But actually, the sun is being blocked. Mm -hmm. So sometimes everybody else is sweating, but you're nice and cool. So it's sure. It's probably why people do dress the way they do in the desert and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You oh, wear yeah, bikinis absolutely. in the desert except for Vegas. Right. That's for sure. <laughs> um, who is your favorite DJ? Oh, man. Okay. Okay, the, the, the reasons of favorite DJ are because of selection of um, being a turntablist. Mm-hmm. Um, and party rocking. So in the case of that, I would, for those three categories that I have is very, very important. I would say DJ cash money. Okay. Yeah. But then otherwise, like for who has the playlist in my head mm -hmm. that I never told them about, uh -huh. it would be, it would be Jazzy J or Africa Bambada somehow the, yeah. and, and red too, but the, the Zulu DJs somehow, uh, mix everything that I love together. Like it might be Credence Clearwater mm -hmm. or the Stones, like Stevie Wonder. Just and it yeah. might it won't even be any Stevie Wonder song. It'll be Hey Love, which is my favorite. Like mm -hmm. somehow, especially Jazzy, he just can play whatever, and I'm just so happy. That's one of my favorite selectors, nice. as well as amazing party rocker. Sure. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. All great answers. Um, what is what's the last great book you read or listened to? All right. I read a lot of weird stuff. I read a lot of Stephen King. Okay. I'm reading him now. Um, greatest book, though. I mean, religiously, you know, of course, the Quran. Uh, but I, I read a lot of books on spirits and different kooky things. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> then maybe not everybody else is interested in or reading, but uh nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but favorite author is usually Stephen King. Mm. Oh, wait, there was a book. It was um not just the Orchardist, but there's a book called, I think it's called Overstory. And it's a story where the trees are the main characters. And um okay. you'd have to look, you'd have to look up who wrote it. But it's such a beautiful story about how trees are around us, but we like take them for granted and how they've got these underground root networks. And the stories are based on families that grew up around the tree. Oh, that's cool. And people who are trying to save certain trees. So it's a really heavy, earthy book, just like The Orchardist is too, like about a guy that I don't think he can hear, but he has this apple orchard. It, oh, it, wow. seems, it seems very slow moving, like and it's back uh -huh. in the day, like maybe in the, 1800s or early 1900s but um they're really slow moving peaceful books and um another one called the story of i want to say edward sawtell or sawtell's dogs s-a-w-t-a-l-l-e-s and mm -hmm. it's a it's also another really fat book that's about th these dogs that this person eventually bred and okay. the dogs are their own character and you know what the dog is thinking too that's I, I, cool. I find them at thrift stores or wherever, but they're such good books that feel like soulfully nourishing. Like, wow, yeah. like, I'm so glad I read that long ass book. That's amazing. 
<laughs> I haven't read much Stephen King, but I read his uh, memoir called oh. On Writing, uh-huh. which like the first half of the book is is his life story. And then the second half is is him telling you about his philosophy about writing. And mm. it was amazing. As a, He's as brilliant. A, yeah. If you if you follow like all of his books, I love, especially Salem's Lot is my favorite mm. vampire story. But mm-hmm. um, if you follow him on Twitter, like he's constantly or he was constantly trolling Trump, which was hysterical. I'm sure. So my Twitter feed like would be mostly like him and Bette Midler just going in <laughs> and it'd be hysterical. So, yeah, That's follow great. him because he's a character. That's hilarious. Um, what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? I have uh, probably The Color Purple. Like, oh, okay. Once again, another earthy, soulful movie. But it's a I great could, movie, though. Uh, yeah, I could probably quote it. That's point. not like mine. The ones I've seen the most are all a bunch of stupid comedies that they just come on and you're like, oh, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just watch this again, you know. My, yeah. like, color purple that's like a legit that's a legit movie if you want to if you want to make yourself cry that would be like if you just need to get it out then you can watch okay. the color purple but there's so many good parts in it and uh but lately like i was thinking about that this morning is things that came out of the pandemic is we watch martial art movies all the time we watch the nice. shaw brothers uh-huh. now we're watching this um is it ong back it's a yeah, ong oh, back. yeah. yeah heavy crazy wild stuff. we and we don't even like movies with subtitles but we watch these we are just non-stop watching like sleeping I mean, fist and and bizarre stuff where like a guy has yeah. a little person that he fights with and that's his he's on his shoulders and they fight as a team and just yeah. bugged out martial arts movies we've been watching non-stop that's great i'm, I'm not i don't watch a lot of those movies but i appreciate like they you know, the action comes first and then they find a story that's really just an excuse for the action scenes and the choreography and the like, you know, crazy, crazy fight scenes. And it's dope. Yeah, everybody's not in on back, but these other ones, everybody's levitating. Like, it's just, right. it's just yeah. nuts. Like, and then yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like comedy. Like, there's a one where they're, they're talking about, a, oh man, what did they call it? If it was spiritual boxing. Okay. And uh, and in this, they're just like all these like it almost looks like gang signs and hand signs, but they're like they're controlling each other and throwing power through their hands. So funny. and it it's so bugged out. But yeah, it's I'm such bad. it's such a good thing to find these movies when you know some content and you know even English speaking movies are kind of boring lately. You know. Sure. And sure. and who knows how we're going to be affected because of the movies that weren't made because it wasn't yeah. safe to make them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, who's somebody you haven't met that you've learned a lot from? Oh, man. I guess it could be any author. Um, I can't think of someone off the top right now that would be that person. But it, it is weird to have like friendships with people that you haven't met yet that you're really cool with, you know? Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I can't. Okay. It, it would probably be in some other field. It wouldn't be in hip hop. It'd be some weird thing. Well, cause you know everybody in hip hop. Yeah, I, I maybe it'd be the politicians. Maybe it'd be mm. like people I follow like Elon or Rashida or mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. you know, who 
who just fight for what's right, regardless of the popular opinion, like, yeah. And any, any activist. Yeah. Like, uh, I know I've met her before, but Linda Sarsour, Rosa Clemente, like mm-hmm. people that just go hard, like that maybe have more bravery and courage than I do to be as out there and to mm-hmm. put themselves at, you know, the public opinion and the attacks and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It'd have to be any major activists, you know, that that's are just, great. Yeah. Fighting for humanity. Like, you know, it's not about money. It's not about lining your pockets and all the politicians that do that at the, at the sake of humanity, at the sake of their own souls. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty scary what's going on. So anybody who's fighting for, you know, the rights, you know, that's it. Nice. Um, last question. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, oh, my rants about uh, double checking your work and my and perfectionism and how only only people should be hired that have OCD issues. <laughs> OK, like uh, you seem like yeah. you seem like attention to detail is high on your list. It's so important. Can you imagine yeah. having a sloppy employee? Oh, like, yeah, I, I've, I've had many. Yeah, exactly. And it's maddening. You're like, <laughs> it's how do terrible. You? Yeah. Like, OK, first of all, even just when I'm writing to DJs, they'll read some of the stuff and not everything. And, and right. sometimes that's why they, you know, they slam their foot in the door. They or like, whatever the word is, they, they don't succeed because they won't read for comprehension. Right. So any, sure. I feel it's a disrespect that you take time to send someone stuff in the perfect wording that you can. And then they don't even bother to read it or, get it so anybody who doesn't pay attention to detail would not be my employee at all like i i need you to be you could smoke weed all day that's whatever as long as it doesn't affect your concentration and memory you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. fine but yeah, of course. yeah it's me having it's me in- having to do other people's work over or repeat myself over and over right yeah as an entrepreneur it. you know that like you can't yeah you you're and it's your whole reputation, your whole integrity, everything. Well, the way I tell people, you know, and, you know, we have, you know, I have people like they email the information to a client and the client didn't read it. Right. And I'm like, well, if, if it's important enough, then you need to call them and make yes. sure they have that information. You need to, you need to like, don't, you know, is if all you want to do is point fingers and say you sent it, they didn't read it. Yeah. That's not the job. No. Like the job is to make this thing work. And, exactly. And if you need that's them to read it, that's that's back on you. Yeah, that's for a client though. DJ, yeah. D- battle DJs but, that are just entering, like I'm not gonna call of course, 100 of course. DJs to make sure they read it. No, and, no, 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 of course. But yeah, but clients definitely like, yeah, I'll call right. I'll, if, uh, if my dude from Pioneer DJ isn't like answering right. back, I'll give him a call in a day. Exactly. I actually thought about that, um, you know, since we're here at a shop at Mile High DJ Supply. Uh, okay. I, you know, and having been working with all the companies in, in the industry and gear companies, especially, this is a perfect place for me. But you mm-hmm. will not, you will not believe how many um, gear reps do not make phone calls. Oh, I'm not surprised. Like there's a, a guy, um, let's say uh, ADJ. There's a rep there. He'll call once a week and he'll always get a sale. Mm-hmm. 
you know, <laughs> and right. I was like, wow, could you imagine if all these other companies actually called and said, hey, sure. you're like, this is me. This is Christy from so-and-so, you know, this is the new um, controller I have in stock. I got these mm-hmm. mixers coming out, like something as simple as that. And that, that call is so crucial and they have no idea how many sales they're not getting or yeah. how someone who called you on the phone will get your business more than, you know, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I heard follow a up is important. I, I knew this guy was a sales coach and, and, you know, he told me that, um, you know, on average, it takes eight contacts to get a sale. And most salespeople give up after three. Yeah, it makes and sense. Yeah. There's- but that's like, that's, that's the life we live, right? Is you just, you can't give up. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a, a guy from Gemini, you know, we were just talking about Gemini and mm-hmm. they're still around and, and they make some cool mm-hmm. stuff. Like they had this crazy speaker that was like, it was, unfortunately it was just for a special company, but it was like camouflaged outdoors mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. looked crazy. And we oh. wanted that speaker, but we couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he will email like at least once or twice a month. Just to follow up, like, hey, don't forget yeah. about us. Yeah, that's what's up. Smart. I love it. Yeah. Well, Chrissy Z, it's so much fun talking to you. I appreciate you and all these great stories. Um, it's definitely been too long, so hopefully we, we'll keep in touch better. Definitely. Uh, than we have. Um, where should everybody be following? Uh, we, should, we, should, okay. we should all be watching for the DMC and for Tools of War. And for what yeah. Time. You can follow DMC. Um, there's several handles, but DMC USA DJ Battles is where most people can find what I'm doing, as well as okay. the world. I post world stuff there. And then DMCDJChamps.com is the main website for all of the battles this year. Um, Tools of War Jams on any social media. You can find out what Fable and I are up to. Um, and, uh, oh, I was going to say this too, outside of everything else, like, your stories about what your son says oh, were some of my some of my favorite reading. Like, and that that's how Thank I feel. You. Like it's it's interesting that you connect on things that aren't industry related, but you're like, sure. this is your friend in the industry, and his kid is saying some wild stuff and has interesting perspectives. He's and still so I'm a fan of your son. Crazy. Thank yeah, you. I'm a fan of your son, even though I don't know him. That's amazing. Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> but this is so great. Thanks again. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Hopefully, thank you. I appreciate it, and I hope uh, I get to talk to you and find out all the stuff you're doing instead of it being focused on me. Yeah, absolutely. Next time, okay. Next Rebel Radio, I interview you. I'll do it. (laughs) Let me know when you want to schedule yourself in. Okay, that's fun. Hey, that was Christy Z Pavon on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you check out the DMC and check out uh, Christie's Park Jams next time you're in New York. If they're happening, we'll see what happens. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.